Yeah. And I just remember walking away. And then, you know, you get that like, I hope that wasn't too Yeah, weird. I hope that wasn't so weird. No, it wasn't at all. I was just laughing at myself with this humongous plant. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This Is Van Color, we are one month away from this year being over. And who better to join me than a returning guest all the way back from episode 69 in March? She is a yoga therapist, a full spectrum doula for over 25 years, including work as a death doula and grief guide with a focus on birth, death, loss, and trauma. She is an activist, a celebrant, and a director of yoga and doula teacher trainings locally and internationally, hosting workshops, ceremonies, retreats, and mentorships. She is one of my favorite people in the whole world. <laughs> you can find her at La Lupa Via Yoga and Wellness, but she is here right now. My guru, <laughs> she is here, Teresa Campbell. Teresa, <laughs> how are you? I'm so good, my friend. It's so great to be back with you. Thank you for having me again, and thanks for that beautiful introduction. Of course. Yeah. It's nice to see you. I'll just listen to that daily from now on <laughs> Absolutely. to boost my spirits. Woo. That's how excited I am to have you back on the program. <laughs> we had... We had such an interesting chat mm. in March, and it was so meaningful for me personally, for my family. So for anyone who didn't catch that episode, episode 69, it was all about grief. And as I said, it was a very personal episode, probably the most personal that I've been on the podcast. Mm. And I was really touched by a lot of the feedback that I received. All sorts of people saying that, you know, while it was a difficult listen at points, it was so meaningful. And to hold that sort of space as uncomfortable as it can be, but to be able to freely discuss things like death and grief was something that a lot of people haven't done or wish they had done. And, and now are actually trying to broach that subject with loved ones. Mm -hmm. So I'm honored when people listen to that episode in particular, because that was a very challenging one for me. So mm -hmm. I do recommend it. Make sure you are in the right headspace if you want to listen to that. It does get quite heavy. Mm -hmm. So you and I record that very personal, magical, heavy episode. And this was in early March. And then a few days later, basically, our whole world living here in Vancouver changes. We're and when we're talking about mid-March, we're talking about a pandemic panic. Like, no one knows what this is. No one knows what's going to happen. We're now in December, effectively. Mm. What a year it's been. <laughs> <laughs> what a year it has been. Yes. I, yeah, I just want to jump back and honor, of course, yeah, your beautiful courage and vulnerability and the, the truth speaking that you did in that episode that then gives other people the permission to speak their truths. And I think that's necessary medicine right now. And here we are, 2020, shocking, illuminating, revealing, upheaval, death, mm -hmm. loss. Um, it's been a lot it's been a lot, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Well, and that's why I wanted to have you back on the podcast. As we end the year, I sort of want to unplug from the material world just a little bit 
to tap into our feelings and at least for an hour try to digest what's happening around us on a more metaphysical, maybe even spiritual level. I just want to get into the feels, mm-hmm. as, as it were. Mm-hmm. And it's not just me. I'm feeling that around me. Like I'm feeling that people are feeling burnt out, depressed, sad, but also kind of muted. Maybe they're not sure how to broach the subject or how to talk about it. From your vantage point, what is the spiritual vibe, or we can just call it the mood Mm. of 2020 as we end the year? That's a juicy one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I... I can't speak for everyone, of course, but the many folks who I do work with, who I have talked to, where we have circles of truth speaking, um, there's such a range, like I said before, of such upheaval and loss, um, death on many levels, uh, grief and rage and sadness, personally, collectively, and we're always, I mean, the reality is we're always living in an unknown mystery, and it's amplified big time right now with so mm-hmm. many layers of unknown. And we, it seems that folks are really trying to either survive or find ways to um, navigate right now or digest it all or metabolize it all or or just drop in uh, a little more to their hearts and be like, what the hell is happening? And how can I just hold myself in in all of these unknowns and this confusion and this pain and this loss? Um, I think people are really starting to be curious um, about what it's like to actually speak these truths about our extents of our loss or grief and and what we can find if we're actually honest about it mm-hmm. so i'm i'm seeing more folks you know step into that realm of truth speaking about these mm. pieces and places where our culture likes to you know avoid pain and shame and blame people for the wide depth of you know feelings that we have right and people are just like i i can't do that anymore like this is just what it is right now yeah so people are being really honest and brave and uh, i think it's it's necessary yeah yeah and i know that you said you can't speak for everyone obviously i don't expect you to (laughs) but i think that there is a common thread in the mood of almost everyone and that goes for someone who was directly personally affected by the pandemic Mm. that goes to someone who was maybe indirectly affected in the sense that they lost their jobs Mm -hmm. or just a lot of us who maybe we're still working, maybe we're still healthy, but there's still a ton of anxiety in the culture, in the climate. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there, there are common threads within a culture, within a city sometimes. And they're, they're a lot more common when we're all going through this one thing together, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The commonality of just connection. And so whether you connected with people, you know, going to yoga class or going to a mm. club or going to a dance class or going to a prayer group or whatever it was, that that loss of connection and that deep intimacy of connection that mm-hmm. we're, we're all experiencing and this, you know, layers of collective um loss and and grief that weighs on everybody like you said there's commonality uh hold yeah within it uh, within it all for all of us yeah yeah i feel like there's been a lot of anxiety it's very messy there has been some self-affirmations in there here and there Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't want to you know completely throw away all the good stuff that we we have also seen this year 
there are two things that I've noticed, and I don't know. They're definitely related, but I don't know if they're the same thing. They might be the same thing. The first is the idea of control. And I've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit with regard to this year. I think we were under an illusion Mm. of control. And I think many of us for the first time have had that illusion lifted and we're realizing what it is. When you're in a routine and things are relatively stable in your life, it's very easy to fool yourself and to think Mm. that you're in control of everything when the truth is that the day-to-day equilibrium of your existence is so fragile. It Mm -hmm. takes so little to like upend your life, to upend your routine, everything you know. And so that I think is very scary. And a lot of us are realizing that, but I almost feel like once you recognize what you do control, and I've identified that as intent, action, and reaction, then you can focus your energies in a way that I feel actually eases your anxiety and can actually make you a lot more productive. Mm. Because you find out that like all these things that you're stressing about, you don't control them. They're not, you know, not in your control at all. And that's not to minimize environments or situations that people might be in that are very stressful. It's speaking to just a broad audience and saying that, most of us stress out about things that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And once we recognize that, it, it can be a very liberating feeling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can hold, I believe we can hold all of it at once. So acknowledging, again, grief, losses, um, and these pains, and acknowledging that a lot of those things will illuminate Sometimes what's the most important Mm -hmm. um, and really affirm that for us at the end of the day, if we have no control over all of these things, like what is the most important to connect to that we can put our energy into and prioritizing that. Yeah. Yeah. The second idea I had was actually something that you already mentioned. And it was this idea of the unknown. Mm. And I think it's related to control in some ways. I don't think the unknown has been more apparent for us in this generation than it has been this year. And the truth is, it's always existed, right? Yes. (laughs) Like, you don't know what's going to happen when you leave the house in the morning. Uh, You don't know necessarily what's happening in your body all the time. And 2020 has kind of revealed, like, the unknown is this omnipresent background and reality where we're just floating in space on this big rock, And we don't know what's going to happen. And that's scary. But then again, I think the flip side to the scary part is that all of your best friends were unknown strangers at one point. Mm. They were the unknown. Mm. The heartbeat in the womb of an expectant mother. You know, there's unknown in that. Mm -hmm. Scary, absolutely. But there's a lot of joy and happiness that could come out of that as well. And so I feel like a lot of this stuff if we can't get beyond just that anxiety layer, we kind of miss out on some of the magic, whether it is talking about control or the unknowns. Mm -hmm. And so many of us are very much stuck in that anxiety because we don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, we don't know how to talk about it. Grief illiterate society, again, pain avoiding, shaming, blaming. Um, And so it's, it's no wonder that people are just kind of at a loss. And um yeah when we can finally truth speak be honest about this unknown that's all pervading right now it seems mm-hmm. for many people <laughs> uh we can then ask the question of 
okay, if this is <laughs> this is all pervading, like how can we hold ourselves and each other in the unknown? And that's what the majority of my work is about. It's not trying to change it or fix it or heal it or pretend there's an answer mm -hmm. um, and a quick fix and an endpoint, but to just say, okay, let's be fucking honest and then let's find paths, structures to lean into, yeah. to be held in while we're in this. And I just want to honor that it's, a very i think natural response right now to mm -hmm. have anxiety stress fear those are natural responses to a pandemic to all of these layers of loss and change those are natural responses anger grief rage these are you know very human natural responses a lot of the time and i think at the end of the day coming down to like how do we hold each other hold ourselves mm -hmm. in the anxiety so maybe it can transmute and alchemize and be digested and metabolized so we're not just frozen in it mm -hmm. and sometimes we just are for a while frozen in whether it, you know mm -hmm. grief or loss or, and in shock and that can be a sort of hibernation that's wise i think and then at a certain point we do need things to move for connecting back you know into life mm -hmm. so that is um key i believe for you know for myself and for others is how do we hold each other in that and not say, well, this anxiety is bad or should be shamed or you're failing right. at being human or you're failing at being a spiritual person or any of this bullshit to be like, <laughs> wow, this makes sense that there's anxiety. And what are the ways in the physical body and the nervous system we can support that um, and any other paths of just holding in that and metabolizing? Yeah. Yeah. How have we created these cultural barriers to doing that work? Like, why do those barriers exist in the first place? <laughs> I mean, people come to you all the time. And so you obviously see yeah. patterns mm -hmm. of why someone might be reticent or someone might not be able to express themselves in a certain way. What is it about the culture that we've forged these barriers, these emotional barriers? I, you know, I think it's a brilliant question and there's so many layers to it and there's so much fear, I think, at the, the heart of that answer. And you could go into patriarchy and you could go into all <laughs> kinds of pieces with it, right? Sure. And there's cultures that do have really vibrant, healthy connections to grief rituals, community rituals through thresholds and losses. And we don't. And I think it's because we're prizing through whatever, you know, again, systems um, at play, uh, intellectualizing life and a real disconnect from the heart and from the, you know, the body and emotions and um, the messiness. And we like to keep it compartmentalized and robotic yeah. and, yeah, strictly in the head. And it's it's not working. People are suffering mm -hmm. because of this disconnect. And, yeah, it can be terrifying for someone to say, like, what? Like, I'm going to get to know my rage um, or grief and like, holy shit, like I've only been taught that's violent or that's something I should be over. And we've just right. had this culture of such shame and blame that's um, really, really hurting people. And it's a huge joy and a life changing thing to actually get curious and find people who can validate you mm -hmm. and, and, and yeah, hold you in that and not try to change and fix, but explore it yeah so i yeah i don't think there's a simple answer to your great question i think it's something for us all to explore and to question and to say i'm committed to unlearning because this isn't working this yeah. isn't supporting people right now trying to intellectualize this time we need to move our bodies <laughs> we need to cry we need to you know all the things that love wants to express grief needs to express mm -hmm. and 
those same pathways, whether it's, you know, art and, and dancing and singing, gardening and expressing when we're in love or feeling love, uh, the same pathways are needed with grief and those other pieces. But it it takes huge courage because all around us is uh, a society that's telling us to fucking pull your pants up, <laughs> go back to work after three days when someone's died, um, yeah. you know, no, they're so strong when they don't cry. Like all of these stories, it's work to undo those stories and it's big courage, but it's so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the tough things I think is that a lot of what you just described in terms of ceremonies of grief, love, loss, joyous ceremonies, sad ceremonies, however you want to describe them, so much of that is communal. Yeah. <laughs> and we've taken, not we, we've had to take that physical communal element out of society for now to keep people safe, right? And that's where it becomes a big challenge. I've thought about this idea of why we are emotionally stunted or why we create these barriers. And I think you're right. We're, we should be questioning this. I think it's an important question. I feel like Western society in a lot of ways is very material. Mm. And so that's different than materialistic which we are in a way, but material, I just mean like whatever is in existence is what you can see and touch and feel and, mm -hmm. and whatever, right? But this spiritual idea or things that exist that we can't measure or things that aren't tangible, we don't have an appreciation for that. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at sickness, the idea is, even if it's a, you know, mental health issue, the idea is, okay, drugs, like drugs will fix it. Let's get this material thing. This will fix whatever chemistry in your brain. And I'm not saying that that's the wrong way for certainly for some people that is great, but there are other people who may be therapy or different types of therapy and addressing some deep rooted issues might be more effective than putting them on, you know, a bunch of drugs. Mm-hmm. But I feel like just in our Western world, we're so much, so much more material mm. and we just have no appreciation for things like literally emotions or intuition or things that we can't really explain yet. Yes, absolutely. Um, I agree. And we, I think it comes down to not having um, a culture, society that has fostered a relationship with um, heart, with emotions, with mm -hmm. intuition. And created, you know, constant sources and spaces of liberating our instincts and intuition or talking about, again, just like break the silence, talk about the liminality of what it means to be human, that there's mm -hmm. a liminal space when I attend births or deaths, that it's a, a liminal space of so much unknown. There is an energy that's felt in mm -hmm. birth and death that's very similar. Um, we are not. Uh, and again, unless you have, uh, you know, conscious guides as a child or a culture um, and ritual practices already, we don't have that in this society, this fostering of relationship to, yes, heart and intuition and energy. Mm -hmm. And um, people feel like they're maybe far off the end as, you know, some strange spiritual type if they start to explore right, that yeah. when, you know, from the beginning of time, um, indigenous cultures from the beginning of time have revered and and lived and died this way by honoring of course the material and also the the energetic mm. you know layers of of this experience so it's it's a worthwhile thing yeah to be curious about mm -hmm. and 
and to foster, but I think people will feel intimidated or, or nervous if they've never been encouraged before because that right. relationship hasn't yeah, been fed. Last time you were here, we discussed grief, and I think we did a good job, if I may say so, <laughs> in being expansive and inclusive of that idea. We didn't keep it like this narrow definition. We allowed for many different forms of grief to be included in that umbrella. And we recognized that it kind of exists in this, I don't want to call it a spectrum, but it's a lot more multidimensional than just grief is when you're sad about yes. a loss, right? Yes. Is there grief associated with the pandemic? And I know you've already made mention to this, but I, I'm trying to understand what you mean by it. Mm. There certainly seems to be a loss amongst the collective, and not just if you lost someone because of an illness or anything like that, but there seems to be a sense of losing time or losing moments and, or losing connections. As, as we said, you know, you're not very social, at least in person anymore. Explain this idea of grief, the collective grief during the pandemic. Mm. That's a really, um, yeah, powerful and important question to come back to validate. So one of the biggest pieces of, of any kind of restoring and um, healing, not as an endpoint, but just this energy of healing with grief is to validate and to just say, yes, there are personal losses and personal grief that matters mm -hmm. that we don't need to compare to others exactly we can hold all of it we can hold the personal grief and the collective grief and holy shit yes there is collective grief and layers and layers and layers of that specifically to do with this pandemic um for example you know all of the people who have died um alone whether from covid or other reasons mm -hmm. because of this pandemic and as a death doula that breaks my fucking heart mm -hmm. that i haven't been able to be with clients and i know that's happening around the world and that people and family and friends can't gather to be yeah. at a funeral in physical presence and we're wired we're wired for touch we're wired for eye gazing we're wired for loving voices we're wired for deep intimacy and connection the collective grief um with this pandemic it goes on and on um I mean, you know, I feel like it's important to acknowledge the uh, the colonization atrocities throughout history that continue today with Indigenous and Black people and murder of trans folks and so much that has been happening that maybe people are finally becoming more aware of during mm -hmm. this pandemic. Um, and yes, all my work with folks at Thresholds, and I know this is happening worldwide, so it's my personal experience and the collective, that folks in Thresholds of all kinds, and yes, the typical ones are birth, death, um, after birth, postpartum, people need community the most at those times yeah. of loss or thresholds. And we know this is happening again around the world that people cannot be together mm -hmm. in that. and. That's huge and that matters. And we might just have a, you know, a day where it's like, oh, I'm really noticing this and not giving it weight that it matters, but it, but it does. And it does affect us, you know, mm -hmm. that as a queer woman, I am aware that there's so many queer and trans youth who are stuck at home with homophobic, transphobic families or parents and experiencing abuse mm -hmm. and can't go be with, you know, the the friends or peers that, that help them survive sometimes. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like layers and layers and i don't want to ever be apathetic um i i care so deeply and um and there has to be you know times to 
take care and take a break. But when I reflect on the pandemic, I mean, it goes on and on and on, specifically with rates of abuse with, um, you know, uh, partners in in abusive households. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of layers and it, yeah, it, it does affect us. It does matter. We may feel so deeply and find ourselves grieving as though someone we know um, we lost and we don't know this person we saw in the news or heard about, but our hearts are opening to them or to um, their experience. And I think that's important and that we can, yeah, be held in it because it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And I want to emphasize a point that you made that we actually came to conclusion in our last episode together, which is it's really not helpful to compare grief or to create a hierarchy of this grief is heavier than that grief and just to accept it all as one. And you're not even accepting it all as equal at that point. You're just saying it is what it is. And I think that is extremely important, especially if we're going to try to understand each other. (laughs) Yeah. And there is grief in positive moments too. So I know Mm. situations where two parents had a child and they're unable to see, you know, the grandparents or the rest of the family. And there's, even though it's a joyous thing, but there is fair and legitimate sadness in missing out on a cultural routine. Yes. Right? Of course. And so it's easy to just eat like in that situation. It's easy to say, well, everyone's healthy and you have a baby. So why are you You sad? You should be happy (laughs) and just judge and blame. You should be happy. You have a healthy baby. You have a healthy family and no space for it. Mm -hmm. But all of it exists together. It can all exist at once. And grief and love are intimately connected, intimately. And this is, I think, if you know, people take anything away from this episode. It's like, you don't have to have an answer. Grief is natural and is not meant to be fixed. Mm-hmm. It's not something to, you know, yeah, uh, fix. So to just say, even if you don't fully understand the grief, to say, hey, I, I hear you. Your, yeah. gr- your grief matters. Holy shit. That is a game changer for any relationship that you may have with yourself and with others. I hear you and that grief matters. Mm-hmm. And give it space and stop shaming people. We, you know, find so many folks that I work with and especially the the range of what comes with grief sometimes, the rage, the sadness, the loss. Some people will be enraged because People who love them, friends, family, will say horrendous things to them mm-hmm. about a silver lining or that everything happens for a reason or that they should, you know, be just grateful that they have the healthy baby. And it's horrendous and it's harmful. And again, the intention a lot of the time isn't, um, yeah, isn't meant to be hurtful, but mm-hmm. but but it is. So we're trying to now learn um, and unlearn at the same time that. We have to stop shaming and blaming people in their grief, even if it's something we totally don't understand, to just say, and what a relief for the person listening to just say, I hear you, and that grief matters, and you don't have to fix it and find an answer, because there isn't one. It's not something that has a quick fix answer, you know, the different layers of grief, because some of them are like losses that rearrange our worlds, and deaths that change everything that you see, and maybe it's a physical death, and maybe it's the death of what you thought your life would be, and yeah, we can't judge each other anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, It's harmful, not helpful, so... 
to truth speak about this and to say that it can be horrendous that you know that people <laughs> aren't supported by loved ones because again they don't know maybe they haven't had any experience to grief literacy and and compassion and um the ripple effect of this kind of shaming but uh those simple words can be huge i want to get into this idea because after our last podcast i had a friend accuse me and they meant it in a very nice way but they said you know <laughs> sometimes <laughs> well they did mean it in a nice way <laughs> they were trying to be real with me and i appreciated it they said that i engage in toxic positivity because we talked about this last time and i think toxic positivity is kind of that idea of like you're always putting on a good mm-hmm. face and you're you know you're feeling something but you are you're trying to make everything positive you're always finding that silver lining And so you just sort of mentioned this idea of, you know, sometimes that's not helpful. Lay into me, because I'm that guy. I'm not, (laughs) I don't see myself as, I don't take it upon myself to make anyone feel better. But if I see someone who's not, you know, doing well and they're hurting, I like to have that space for them. But I'm also someone who is just positive by nature. And so even in the case of, you know, the, the newborn who can't see the extended family, I would say, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't shame anyone for that, but I'd be like, hey, well, all you can do is ground yourself that everyone's healthy and happy and we're going to get through this. And I'm always pushing a positive message. So is that a bad thing? Is that toxic now? Because I do it from a place of, or I think I do it from a place of compassion. I'm not trying to shut someone up or judge someone. So what's the difference between being maybe annoyingly t- positive and toxically positive. <laughs> this is really important. This is just what I was referring to that so many folks in in devastating, horrific losses will just be enraged by um, people coming forward with, you know, smiley face cookies or, you know, uh, placating words or the silver lining thing and how um, not just annoying, but how harmful that can be and i think Mm -hmm. it's so important to talk about this spiritual bypassing toxic positivity toxic positivity to me is this just pure denial of our humanness and this full spectrum that we are as humans it is uh shaming you know the spectrum of you know grief and rage and sadness and these pieces that are supposedly the shadow and not acknowledging how powerful they can be that if someone has been for example you know mistreated abused Mm -hmm. um at a certain point like this this rage that's connected to their self-worth is a healthy natural reaction sure but someone you know stuck in toxic positivity would be like no 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 that's bad you need to like get back to you know being positive peaceful relaxed um so i wouldn't say that in that situation to be very clear (laughs) i mean that's a heavier situation than yeah that i'm discussing but i'm wondering for the person that is trying to soothe someone and i would say for myself I do try to catch myself and I do tell people like all these emotions are normal and you got to go through the waves and whatever it is, whether it's a breakup or someone's someone died or whatever. Like I don't try to deny someone their emotions. Mm -hmm. I think they're, those are very healthy, Mm -hmm. but I think the practice of gratitude or the practice of grounding yourself in something positive, even while you're going through those emotions is very helpful. Mm that has to be different than toxic positivity. Like, I feel like toxic positivity is don't talk about anything negative and just put on a smiley face, right? 
Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and just shame the people for having these this depth of feeling. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's all. Um, I don't want to say that it even you know because you mentioned like your intention, and I'm I'm not you know judging you here. I think just oh, you can if you want. In general. <laughs> You're my, you're my guru. You gotta, you gotta no, set me straight. No, I'm not his guru. No, he's guru. We're all our own gurus. Um, <laughs> that you know, and I, I'm constantly learning this and say anti-racism work that I'm mm-hmm. committed to uh, for a lifelong journey. That we can have a pure, supposedly good intention, and we can still do harm. Mm. And so that's what I see all the time when I'm, uh, you know, organizing a funeral. Or I'm working with folks in their grief journeys that well-intentioned people are doing harm and again we can just be taught we're conditioned to be so polite and so to just you know say you know thank you for your your words that are actually enraging me because you're not actually validating this experience of grief um but we can also just say actually this isn't helpful Mm. and um you, you know i i can speak from my own grief journeys that being in like gnarly 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 grief and still you know having a practice of like yes my gratitude list but not holding that as the thing that's going to move me through because that's not Mm. that's not the full picture that that piece is really important and staying connected to my heart and to just tell someone to just be grateful is brutal is as harmful um because again it's 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 shaming and there's very real pieces that they're in pain about Mm. that uh yeah may may never change so can both exist yes and so just knowing that we can yeah we can do harm with good intention and Mm -hmm. more than anything again this practice of you're listening to that friend talk about their grief around not being able to see their parents and their new baby and you know again to just say like i hear you that sounds really hard if they said this is really hard you repeat something that you heard them say Mm -hmm. to validate it and your grief matters and is there anything that you're finding nurturing in this grief mm. you know so it's not you you know putting on them your ideas of what should be you might just be first validating again it's simple it works people really just want to be seen and mm. heard and in the truth of their experience and not given again um yeah platitudes silver lining things uh just really really pull back and make it about them and just listen and i I hear you um yeah if there's anything that's helping you soothing you right now what is it and Mm -hmm. maybe you take that cue to show up with some good meals because they're just saying well i'm i don't know i'm i food helps me but like i I can't seem to pull myself together to make good food. And you're like, oh, there's my cue. I'm going to just right. show up with some beautiful meals and no fucking card with something about it's going to get better, <sighs> you know, sure. or, like maybe a beautiful piece of poetry. But, you know, you even be curious about like what the message is there because we're trying to bypass a lot of the time people's um, experience, which is wild and unchoreographed mm-hmm. and unknown and feral and sometimes um, so deep. I also think if you are well-intentioned, and whatever it is you're doing and someone tells you hey that's harmful or that's not what i need right now then you shouldn't take it to offense you know if that's a loved one and they're telling you if they're being honest great <laughs> like they don't <laughs> that wouldn't be great <laughs> no but i think yeah. I, those are the types of relationships that i've strived for where you yeah. can be honest because yes. i would rather be told that by a friend and have myself checked 
than unknowingly or unwittingly trying to do harm where I'm just trying, where I'm thinking I'm providing comfort. Yes. And then maybe you're like, why are they being so distanced from me? And you don't know why. Um, This is, again, when I come back to like the anti-racism work um, and and the grief work, it's like, we wish <laughs> everyone would be so receptive, and I hope that people are more and more, and um, to have compassion for ourselves. So if I say mm-hmm. something to someone in a in grief experience, even though I really you know, try to just practice this deep listening, um, and they give me feedback, it may feel like I can totally receive that mm-hmm. and, and be okay, or I may go home and cry my eyes out, <laughs> and you know, be like, shit, I did harm, but like to... Right meet ourselves with compassion. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm one of those people who like totally toxic positivity is a new word, all over somebody, mm-hmm. you know, over and over again in my classes or my friendships, like have compassion. We're all learning. We're all unlearning. And there's a lot to unlearn yeah. and learn. Let's talk about that piece about self-compassion a little bit. I'm not saying that we live in a wholly healthy society, (laughs) but one thing that recently gave me encouragement was around lipstick. So generally, in an economic downturn, sales of makeup and lipstick go up because the idea being it's a simple pleasure for mostly women to, you know, do a makeover or get themselves dolled up and they feel good. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's cool. I've actually seen it on my Instagram feed where women are doing that or they're dressing up to literally go to the grocery store because there's nowhere else to dress up to anymore, (laughs) which is totally fine. You know, if you derive joy from that, do it. That's awesome. But this economic downturn, this pandemic For the first time, skin care products have surpassed the sales of makeup and lipstick and and beauty products, as it were. So what that's saying to me is, I think, because people are staying at home, maybe because they're not meeting people in person, they're not going out as much, they're maybe looking inwards and looking more at things like self-care as opposed to the outward image that they're putting out there. Hmm. So I have a little hope <laughs> for that. I feel like with men in particular, we bury our feelings and we seek gratuitous pleasure to overcompensate for whatever we might be feeling. And that might be substance use, substance abuse, that might be sex, that might be food. Instead of doing the work that will help build happiness we seek some sort of pleasure, some quick pleasure. And I'm guilty of this too. Uh, I've been very open about how this year I put on 30 to 40 pounds because I was eating junk and I'll catch myself on a Tuesday eating fried chicken and just being like, what am I doing? (laughs) It just was so out of character. And suddenly the chubby little kid that I was in the past, I'm not judging him, but that kid suddenly took over the the monster, took over the, the controls. And it became about, you know, self-soothing with this very gratuitous pleasure, which was food. <laughs> How do we get over that? How do men get over that? I mean, I'm, I, 
and I've never said that I'm this woke guy or whatever, but like, I feel like I'm a little more spiritually in tune than a lot of people. I definitely take an interest in it more than some, but even I got caught in this, (laughs) in this mess. Yeah. um, First, I I think it's important to just again, step back. And if we are like, wow, I, I can see personal collective grief. Like we've never been in this experience before and we're all trying to find ways to be okay or survive or mm. or thrive but a lot of it is you know fine we just we're leaning into things that soothe us and you know i want to just like bring it into more inclusivity that mm-hmm. you know that first of all there's there's men and non-binary folks who buy lipstick and you know absolutely right? well, like, and I, yeah. and I did keep it open <laughs> yes. i did keep it open <laughs> um and i said women generally they make yeah. more you know more people in terms of who buys it but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, We all, uh, yeah, I think we all go to all of us, something that is is soothing and whether, yeah, it's food or porn or poetry or (laughs) whatever it is that, especially when we're, uh, you know, the rugs being pulled out of what we thought we knew, it's, I think it's very normal. I have so much compassion for that. And, you know, if you have this awareness around like, oh, I, I feel like, you know, nauseous a lot from eating this way, or I'm not feeling as good. Do I have the energy to focus in a different way? Maybe you do, and maybe you don't right now. And it's just like, there's not a lot that I'm finding that's soothing me, but this is soothing me. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just meeting this moment and this point in the conversation with a lot of spaciousness and compassion for not judging ourselves um, in, mm-hmm. you know, what we're drawn to that's soothing us, whether we're totally aware of it in the moment or a few months later, we're like, whoa, I really have been pulled in by that. It makes sense. We're looking for soothing things right now. It, yeah. it makes sense. So yeah. again, just like, okay, I could easily cut myself up about it, judge myself, judge others. Um, we have, you know, so many different things that people will find soothing in and some of them will be supportive and others uh, may, you know, be hard for our hearts or our bodies. And yeah, there's not a quick fix answer. It's just at some point, curious, being curious and compassionate if this thing is supporting us Mm -hmm. enough in what we're going through. And if not, um, is there some other way that, you know, I can be soothed that would support me having a better sleep or whatever the yeah. thing is that you're noticing. But sometimes we're just kind of in that shock mode mm-hmm. and we're trying to soothe in that shock mode and we don't need to, you know, judge it harshly and we don't want to be stuck there forever if it's something that's, you know, hard for our bodies or hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I think it is it is important not to be overly judgmental, overly hard on yourself, especially during this time when everything <laughs> else is so hard. I ended up, and this is obviously coming from a, a place of privilege where I was able to do this, but I ended up buying a Peloton because <laughs> I'm just like, listen, if I'm going to self-soothe with food, I'm not going to worry about weight or anything like that. But at least I'll have this thing that I'm doing daily at my house. And it's a bike, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a bike. Yeah, okay. it's a okay. spin bike. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's not a cheap spin bike. <laughs> but, you know, it's there and it's like, okay, I'm not going to judge myself on the eating. I'm not going to judge myself on uh, whether I skip a day on the Peloton, but at least now there's like these options 
available in my home. Yeah. That create these different. It, it, it just, when I, having that there and being able to do it regularly created a sense of, okay, listen, I can soothe when I need to, and I'm also doing this. Mm. We just got to get through this together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this is new territory. Um, and again, it, it that might not be a, a Peloton for everyone. That might be something else or picking up a new habit. And that's why I think we've seen people focus in on the self-care. Yes. So they're picking up new skills or old hobbies that they had before. They're re reintroducing uh, those into their lives. Yes. So there is some, uh, you're a silver lining guy, there's <laughs> some silver lining that I'm seeing. <laughs> well, the piece, yeah, that we talked about, or I mentioned at the beginning that it's everything upheaval and, um, but for some of us, it's really prioritizing, illuminating what's important or what holds us at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? It's really illuminating that, that if I don't have access to these, these, these things, um, what what do I have access to? What can I touch or connect to that will bring me some soothing? And so, yes, again, in the realm of privilege and accessibility and all of these pieces, and, you know, if someone has the time, which, you know, it can be a luxury in itself to self-soothe. I just want to mention that piece that um, there is, yeah, a beauty in people, again, prioritizing or getting clear on, on what really matters or what could soothe them people are being coming curious about that and mm-hmm. that's that's key because there's no one answer when i support folks in grief journeys um there's never just one answer how could there be there's different things that soothe different people yeah. so you're just like allowing that giving yourself permission and yeah i think that you're right there are a lot of folks who are like okay well what what can i do and and oh i used to you know love drawing and i was always so busy so i'm mm-hmm. you know i'm doing that and there's so many paths to again whether it's soothing or metabolizing grief or all these different emotions um there's many different paths so if it's at home and you can dance and you want to dance or you're having lots of baths and that feels soothing or you're having a bath and screaming under the water and that feels soothing um (laughs) or you're really like getting into your plants at home and and taking care of them and singing to them um there's so many different ways to speak to the heart to soothe the nervous system and the heart and the spirit or whatever people might call it so i think that's wonderful that you that you you know (laughs) chose that for yourself and you're able to get that um, movement going and that's something maybe we'll talk about at some point the metabolizing and um, digesting of these different emotions when we usually just try to talk therapy our way through them um, there will be a time after shock maybe to to think about ways to move so what do you mean by that because usually we think of digesting <laughs> emotions and digesting trauma is talking through it mm. right yeah getting to a point where we're able to express ourselves where we're able to tell our story in a certain way so so what do you mean by digesting Mm, great question um absolutely uh talk therapy is amazing and uh, telling our story especially if it's in the full truth of our story and being witnessed in that can be 
the most healing for, thing for some people or writing their story. Um, and we live in this body. So we don't just digest food. We digest emotions. Mm-hmm. And we live in this body. So we need to not just talk, but also move our bodies because our brain and our nervous system are deeply affected mm-hmm. by emotions, by anxiety, by trauma, by grief. And again, it's not a bad or good thing. It just is is what it is. So if mm-hmm. we know this, if we know that, okay, we want to support someone in some massive grief and they're going to be in shock for a while, they need to sort of be in that hibernating space for a while. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, um, they may intuitively start to move energy or they're connecting with someone like me and I'm supporting them with ideas and paths to digest and metabolize, to speak to the nervous system and the brain, mm-hmm. getting the brain back online, supporting, you know, usually with, with grief and loss, there's stress or anxiety and these kinds of ripple effects that um, exist uh, in our body and affect our, you know, our glandular system, our physical body, and of course, I think also the spirit. So the digesting is is expanding that definition and going, yeah, we don't just digest food. We actually digest a lot of other things and we can get frozen and stuck. So right. how do we become unstuck when we feel receptive is um, something that I explore with folks, different paths of, of, again, digesting that energy, not saying get rid of it, it's bad, but being like, no, this is this is here and we're going to stay curious about it and be compassionate and um and try these different ways of mm-hmm. alchemizing, um, digesting the energy. And so I know a lot of, not a lot, but some listeners may listen to that and be like, okay, that's some hippie new age <laughs> shit. But it's true in the sense that, you know, one of those things that people tell you to do for your mental health is go for a walk mm. because it is movement. It's, it's very low impact movement, but it is movement. And there is a certain communion with nature, especially if you're, you know, walking in the forest or whatever. Like you'll find that it just makes you feel better mm. or it might make you feel more at peace. Like it has these effects on your brain. Yes. Just as things that you think about in your brain have effects on your body. Mm-hmm. You know, stress can manifest its way into rashes or sleepless nights so it's suddenly a cerebral thing is having very physiological impact yes and so i wanted to just jump in and be like before anyone says this how does that make any sense or why how how would you metabolize grief through movement it's like well we already accept a lot of this is truth yeah yeah and there's there is incredible science behind it say for example mm-hmm. something like kundalini yoga from india it's based in a rhythmic science it's based in understanding the body deeply and looking at the effects of stress and trauma and grief yeah on all the systems of the body lymphatic system nervous system and in trauma therapy you can also um, learn how yeah these things are affecting our nervous system so something like anxiety when we say digest it and people are like well that sounds a bit weird or like a hippie term um, <laughs> the idea with anxiety is like it's very active and grief is also very active so if it's active like a little tornado of energy and we just tell someone to sit down and relax and mm. things will get better or just sit down and write your gratitude list um, <laughs> it's not enough a lot of the time we need to go with that same energy like that frequency Mm -hmm. of how the anxiety is moving which is very active go with it 
in something energetic mm-hmm. and disperse that so it can kind of unwind and release. So it's mm-hmm. not just stuck in the body in this like pain in your neck or having trouble going to the bathroom or this mm. real stagnant um, energy. You're actually, um, say, for example, shaking for 30 seconds. The whole body shaking, 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 and then you balance on one foot for 30 seconds. And it's like mm. taking a snow globe, shaking it up, and then setting it on the table, and all the flakes can settle. Yeah. You do that a few times. And so it's like a really, um, my work is, is, of course, honoring spirit and heart, and also weaving in the science behind it mm-hmm. to go like, okay, if we know there can be... Um, a frozenness through the nervous system. Like, how can we work with that? Yeah. And yeah, like you said, there's so many paths. Going for a walk in nature is like instant magic because you have mm-hmm. nature and clean, you know, hopefully clean air and you're moving. And um, there's so many, so many other ways too. But I appreciate yeah. you backing up on that because. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to emphasize that. Yeah. And it's funny you bring up dance. So much of dance around the world, across cultures, incorporates shaking. Yes. Right? Like shaking is a big part of it. Yes. And it does have a euphoric effect. Like it's weird, but when you're in a non judgmental space and you're able to kind of, that's why kids do it all the time. Yes. Right? Kids are brilliantly connected to transforming energy. They yeah. know how to transform energy, they know how to have a tantrum to release mm-hmm. built up energy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, dance is amazing. And I share some of my grief circles are, you know, quieter and and lots of um, sharing and witnessing and some are based in movement and dance. And um, I have a a free uh, event online on the 21st, the solstice for anyone who wants to come in and it will be some movement, the opportunity to dance a little. um, And it's about grief and renewal. So that's something that I love to share and it's yeah it can be pretty intimidating of course but if you're at home and Mm -hmm. um you know there can be a little safe zone in that and it's uh completely yeah life-changing when we can find ways to so you actually brought up a great example of of a place where maybe someone might be too shy or timid Mm. to try out one of your uh what are they called the (laughs) <laughs> the solstice what's the dance yeah. called? The, oh the journey dance it's yeah called. yeah no journey dance you used, you used to call it something else yeah i've had different names but it it, res- it it began with studying with a woman who teaches um tony bergens teaches journey dance so it okay. has a lot of um foundation in that yeah yeah they're weird yeah and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> but yeah. it's just not it's not something you see and and it can be very intimidating. I've been to a few. They're they're great. I felt amazing afterwards. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's hard for some people to go there and and dance like that. But in the comfort of your own home, they might be more willing and then realize like, "Oh, this actually feels pretty good." And then recognizing that the spaces that you hold are very non-judgmental and everyone's super cool and uh, it ends up being a lot of fun. I want to pull out just a little bit and talk about one of the big problems with this pandemic is that we have to physically isolate ourselves mm. from everyone. <laughs> and we are social creatures, we're social animals, we need and crave community. And I think in that pursuit, we end up in social media quite a lot more. Which I actually don't think is a bad thing in and of itself, but we can certainly cultivate very shallow behaviors on social media or even negative behaviors. Even that idea of like doom scrolling through Twitter and everything is bad news 
it just reinforces maybe sadness that you're feeling or grief that you're feeling or loss that you're feeling. How do we create healthy communities online? Because hmm. I think this is the big challenge for everyone where we see that, yeah, you know, there's promise in having technology, but also you could feel a lot shittier too. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And again, we're truth speaking here. So yeah, can there be sometimes amazing connection for say that little, you know, queer youth at home who doesn't have supportive parents and, and borderline abusive, and then they're connecting to community online. And that's everything that's their lifeline. Of course, it can be total beauty. And then there can be total suffering if we're just looking at everyone's highlight reels. And we feel like <laughs> we're bugging alone in our pain and our grief, and we're the only one stuck in it. Um, yeah. So this is an important question, because I it's not only intention, but I think it's, it's um, a skill set, too. If we're creating community online like anyone can go and be like here's this master class or here's this healing circle like anyone can do that these days it seems and you know have you done um gender inclusivity work have you done anti-racist work do you have grief literacy like are mm. you going to invite people into the circle and then toxic positivity your way and bypass your way through this you're experience? looking at me right no. there. <laughs> of course i would that's all i got <laughs> no i know you're you're <laughs> You're great. And um, and so I think there's a, uh, yeah, there can be, like I have experienced um, really surprising deep intimacy online at times. And mm. my offerings are always based in consent mm. and always based in, you know, going at your own pace and only sharing what's comfortable. Um, you know, I can go and teach a two-hour workshop and it's just me talking. Or I can, if people are receptive, break them out in the little breakout rooms mm -hmm. with a question to share and answer together and foster that um, connection. Mm -hmm. When I teach, say, movement or dance, you know, if people are receptive again, they can pin um, a partner and they can have an experience dancing together, watching each other and connecting. Mm -hmm. um, my language and how I'm shaping the experience by my language. I mean, language is a tool and we're reimagining our worlds and we have many tools and language is one of the tools and it's one of the most important intention. And then my language around what I said to you before, I start almost every workshop or class, whatever it is with, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. What's, you know, happening in your world or what grief is here and, and it matters. And this real spaciousness around our humanness, our messiness, um, our, challenges our joys our anger and like validating that from the beginning mm -hmm. and continuing to reiterate that validation and the permission that if you need to rest or cry or whatever it is like you know do that because again we could be saying oh here's this community circle and then you know shaming and blaming people for not being connected enough to their spirituality because they're really stuck in a lot of pain and anger about something right. that's actually very valid and a very natural response. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's not, it is work. I want to be honest about that. I think it is work to create a really um, conscious and spacious and compassionate online space, but it's so fucking worth it. And I've been surprised, like I said, by the intimacy that can be had. Like if I'm teaching a general mm -hmm. class, you know, I start again with a question that if people want to share, we can all share. We can hear our humanness. You know, if one person's really honest and speaks the truth, another person's going to like, oh, not take off their COVID mask, but mm -hmm. take off the like, you know, sure. the 
everything's okay mask and be like, yeah, actually everything's not okay. And, and that's okay that things are not okay. Yeah. And then we're more honest with each other. So really fostering spaces that are um, giving people tools, giving people validation mm -hmm. and really clearing out any possible language around shaming, blaming um, this time and the range of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously... It's a long answer. <laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. Obviously, given the work that you're doing, these you bear a higher level of responsibility for how these communities are constructed and how these communities interact within each other. But I think even for something like a social community that you create online... I just joined a group where we watch musicals on Sunday. <laughs> so like musical movies. So we all, you know, pause it at the whatever mark. And then we said go. And, and we're just kind of Facebook messaging while we watch this movie. Fun. And it was, yeah, it was so fun. And I realized the secret to that was that we were all engaged in the same activity, which mm -hmm. was watching this movie. We weren't doing, I mean, we were communicating with each other through Messenger, but we're all still watching this movie. So there's really two things that we're all doing together. And I would categorize that as engagement. Yeah. So if there's a community where you are actually fully engaged, it's not like you're shallowy, you know, shallow just scrolling through something. If there's a community where you're fully engaged, that's good. And then a community where you just feel safe being yourself. Hmm. You know, and there's different levels to being yourself as well, but just a place where you do feel safe. You're not trying to be cool. You're not trying mm -hmm. to be whatever. You're just hanging out in a sense. Yeah. I, and I think on a social level, not in terms of a healing or therapeutic level, but on a social level, like those are the type of communities that you want to try to foster online. I had a, I had a online poker game going until the summer happened with a bunch of guys mm -hmm. and it was the same idea where it wasn't about the poker it was we're all on zoom we're chatting with each other and we kind of were doing this one activity together <laughs> as well yeah and that was a real sense of community whereas a lot of what you get on social media is not right because you're just not fully engaged you also are not comfortable being yourself you're trying to put on a, a front in a lot of online communities and that i think can be very negative for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, the spectrum is, is very real and the extremes. And I love that you know, you've been connecting in those ways. Like plays plays one of the ways through. I mm -hmm. mean, connecting with nature and there's like uh, so many different options to soothe ourselves. And, and play is, is huge. It's wonderful. It transforms energy, as I mentioned before. So connecting <laughs> in that way where you're like, it's same intention. We're going to play this game and we're going to chat and just kind of be um, or the movies. I, I love that. It doesn't always have to be like going face on, head on, you mm -hmm. know, into the grief or rage or these pieces that can be intimidating for folks. I mean, a lot of the times when I share my work, I, I do always have an aspect of play, even in that stuff that mm -hmm. seems only heavy. There's actually some playful bits too, but I, I think all of it, yeah, intention-wise, you're coming together, checking in how you feel during it and after, and being mm -hmm. like, oh, did this feel, you know, good? Do I feel light? Do I feel like more connected? Um, that can be a great little barometer too, to just be like, how do I feel after I connect with this group? Do I feel drained? Do I feel inspired? Do I just mm -hmm. feel kind of lighter in my spirit or my heart? great 
yeah, because there's all kinds of community connections out there and just ensuring that it's like, yeah, soothing you in some way and not draining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are going to look at the arbitrary date of January 1st, 2021 and be like, this is renewal time, <laughs> even though we're still going to be in a pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> at least until the summer. I think. Oh, constructs of time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there is going to be this appetite for renewal. And people even talk about it, but I'm not even sure if most people, even myself, really know what that means. Like, what is renewal and what should we be doing if we're trying to feel, I guess, refreshed? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's worth exploring. Like, I'm sure there's, you know, some really um, boring definition out there. <laughs> but to me, you know, renewal is not... Um, not this, what do they call New Year's resolution, where it's mm. just yet another way that we shame or sure. judge ourselves, right? Like, fuck that. So if we're considering renewal, um, to me, it's like synonymous with revivifying, you know, and whether you call it my body or my spirit, uh, myself, uh, getting curious, what, what could refreshing renewing revivifying look like and if it's just like it is like an emotional state though right as opposed to a new year's resolution which might be i want to lose 10 pounds <laughs> which it's like it's i'm getting a material more tangible mm. thing versus an emotional feeling i feel like yeah renewal that it's what it is to me for sure i mean it it speaks to you know mind perceptions <laughs> body spirit sort of everything um and re like the re the re in renewal and rebirthing and reclaiming it's like a returning to it always kind of has that yeah um you know semantically like returning to so renewing like whether you call it rebirthing or reclaiming or restoring mm -hmm. um i think it's great to explore and play with and just think about okay i how can i create a a focus of renewal of feeding my self my heart my spirit my body whatever the focus is um in some new ways that are gonna support me soothe me mm -hmm. you know to, to kind of play with that and again there's not just one answer but i i think it's worth giving time and space to and not in a way that we're holding it over ourselves like a um yeah like the new year's resolution sure but <laughs> exploring and connecting with others around that so maybe you have one friend you're like hey let's you know explore in the new year renewal and what mm -hmm. that could mean and maybe we meet from a for a distance walk um a couple times a week and we check in on each other um in ways that we can be soothed the rest of the week or having some sort of support and more than accountability but support in that yeah because it's a lot again right now for us to all you know carry this all the time so i just love that um Renewal, I believe, is always possible, restoring, revivifying, and in so many ways. So what is actually, you know, I talk to people about what is, what are they comfortable with? What are they drawn to? And what's actually possible in their daily life? Like if mm -hmm. they are juggling, you know, three kids and they're single mom and da, 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 like what's actually possible in your life yeah. <laughs> that could renew you? And is it a two-hour practice? Likely not that that person may have time for, but can mm -hmm. they do something for five minutes that might really be soothing or renewing? Uh, yeah, that's possible. So, like, being realistic yeah. and, and honest, right? Yeah. About, like, maybe we're just 
we're feeling the weight of things. We can't explain it, but I don't have the energy I used to have before all this happened. So what's actually possible for me to feed this renewal piece and have someone support me and check in on me, not in a judging way, but Mm -hmm. in a supporting way. I hope for people who are seeking renewal and and go through that journey and, you know, want to do 180 on, on 2020, I hope they don't completely write off 2020. Because my fear is that there were some important things that happened, particularly when we talk about the social unrest, the calls for racial justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can call it a continuation of a call against a white patriarchal society. There was good, important, honest work done, and it still needs work. And that could be true on an individual level. It could be true on a societal level. And so my worry is that some people will be like, well, Trump's out of office. There's a vaccine now. All right, let's go back to the way it was. (laughs) And it's like, no, 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 no. We had some big problems in terms of the way it was. (laughs) It wasn't just about one guy or one virus that, that spread around the world. Or even individually, that idea of like, Okay, I'm healthy. I'm working. Time to fall back into old habits. That's my renewal. When it's like, hey, maybe some of those old habits, you know, didn't serve you either. So I do hope that when people look back on 2020, they don't like completely eliminate it from memory and they can still draw things, which might be unpleasant things, but they can draw things that will help them in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is important to continue to focus on. And that could be grief or that could be something that is uncomfortable, as I said. Absolutely. I think it's inevitable. Like, (laughs) I don't know how we can separate it for one, (laughs) but people may try. Like you said, they may try to separate this year to this year, which is like in this context. That's how our brains work, right? Like we like to compartmentalize even though it's arbitrary at this point. Really, it's hilarious. Yeah, can we even separate that? But I I do, I have, I do have faith because I'm I'm seeing so much of this, um, this upheaval that like an uprooting that, yeah, is necessary um, and systems that have just been normalized of oppression and and people are hungry for a revolution of, you know, of of change and love Mm -hmm. and for things actually to, come back to um i mean i want to say balance but just uh yeah ways and paths where more people are supported and um uplifted and yeah like i I really feel this energy not just within myself but a lot of folks around me and online of people who are hungry for feeding this momentum Mm -hmm. of the things that have been uprooted and illuminated or revealed that are hard to look at but totally necessary and i think those people at the forefront are going to keep lighting the fire or the other Mm -hmm. one's asses who are trying to go back to the other ways i I really i have hope and faith in that because i'm feeling it strongly yeah Yeah. that's for everyone who put up one of those black squares (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, we <laughs> That was a beautiful moment in the sense that there was this collective and continues to be this collective coalescing around social justice issues. But it's like, 
the work isn't over. It's just putting up a black square. <laughs> no, the work is like forever and always. And like this, you know, I say to folks like, well, it's not just enough to do the 101, 102 course with anti-racism. Like it's a lifelong commitment or with, you know, gender inclusivity or mm-hmm. these other pieces. It's a lifelong commitment to to this um, for all of the most important reasons. And yeah, it's it's not just, there's not quick fixes. <laughs> yeah, You know, there's a lot of work to be done and we take turns with having the energy to do the work and then needing to rest. And that's um, something I wanted to speak to. And I think it goes with with everything we're talking about that this combination of like output and moving energy, metabolizing, using maybe that rage to then uh, understand what really matters, what's okay and what's not okay, and then using that energy and momentum to feed activism or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And we will have naturally, like nature, you know, right now we're going into winter, like there's ebbs and flows. And so honoring that, having compassion for that, for when you have energy to do, yeah, I'm going to dance with this grief or this anger and this loss, and maybe not literally, but just go into it. And then I'm going to rest. That combination is really, I think, important in everything, Mm -hmm. in revolutionary work, activist work, in our own personal healing, um, the combination of like output, energy, focus and then rest and Mm -hmm. just letting that ebb and flow is yeah it's a healing combo (laughs) yeah i love that yeah Teresa, you need to be a regular on the show like every six months (laughs) you can come in here you can remind me that i'm a toxic positive (laughs) asshole (laughs) and we could just chop it up about our feelings and stuff <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Last time we talked, uh, we talked about this idea of love out loud. That is still my mantra. Uh, I think you love out loud. Where do you want people to go? Where do you want them to learn about you and your offerings? What is your call to action? Mm. Um, but yeah, I just want to say love out loud for sure. Love comes <laughs> in all forms. And um, my offerings are open to everyone, super accessible to, to everybody. And lalupavia.com is my website, at lalupavia on Instagram. And I offer, you know, one-to-one um, support sessions, grief sessions, uh, end-of-life work, energy-related work to group work and sometimes family, you know, support sessions. Um, I'm sharing funerals and weddings online Mm -hmm. and everything in between, all kinds of rites of passage. And I'm so passionate about culturally reclaiming death and grief and the importance of being held in transitions. And so that's my path until the day I die. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa, thank you so much for sharing space with me for sharing your ideas. I think if there's any year that we need to be open and honest about our feelings, it's this year. And that's something that I've tried to advocate for, certainly in my media work. And it's a result of a lot of the things that I've learned from you. Mm -hmm. So thank you again and all the best in the new year. Thank you, my friend. Such a joy to be here. People, she is a full spectrum doula, a true game changer. Find her at La Lupa Via. She is Teresa Campbell. <laughs> and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>